Well, hello, this is Miriam Shulman, host of the Inspiration Place podcast. And today we have a special bonus holiday episode. So for that, stay tuned. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there. This is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and I have a special bonus episode for you this week. I launched this podcast in August 2018, and I decided that I would be publishing every Tuesday. And then I noticed that Christmas and New Year's both fell on a Tuesday this year. So rather than skip a week, I decided that whatever episode I released on Christmas Day had to be a special one and had to really feel like a gift for you. Now, it doesn't mean I expect you to be listening on the day that this goes live, but it's still my holiday episode gift for you. So here's how this is going to go down. I have gathered up questions from my audience. Maybe one of them is yours. And these are things that they all want to know about. So I will be reading the questions and answering them right now. But before we get there, I just wanted to tell you a story. So you know, in a recent episode I did was all about my morning routine. So it was episode number 18. And I do pretty much do most things on the morning routine. There are days when I might miss one or two of those things. But for the most part, I, I do the morning routine. However, I never said that I always get dressed. <laughs> And today, it's Friday, so I'm recording this two weeks prior to Christmas Day. I had plans to meet a friend to walk over to somebody's house. And I did half my morning routine. And because I wasn't trying to make my morning exercise class, I actually was still in my bathrobe. And I went to my computer and I completely lost track of time until the doorbell rang when she was exactly on time. And there I was in my bathrobe, which she had to laugh at because she li actually listens to my podcast and said, so much for your morning routine. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that because, you know, you I don't always do everything perfectly or exactly how I say. And yeah, I did meditate. I did have my oatmeal. I even cracked open my journal, but somehow my morning routine does not include always putting on proper clothes <laughs> or real clothes. So anyway, let me continue on with the questions that you guys had put in for this episode. I'm really excited to dive into them. All right. So the first question is from Deb Lund, and she wanted to know if I have any ideas on how to start organizing. She says, I purchased a bunch of storage things and don't know where to start or what to do. Okay, Deb, I don't know if you're going to like my answer, but I am horrible, like horrible when it comes to organizing. And the only reason I have any kind of organization at all in my studio is because I have hired people to come over and help me get organized. I just don't have the organizational gene. Now, it's when somebody comes over and they help me get organized and they kind of teach me what to do and where things go. I can maintain it somewhat. And actually, my business, my digital 
business, my systems, that is all highly organized. But it, when it comes to stuff in my studio, I am not somebody to look for organization. I can share a few things that the organization person did that I have found helpful. One of them is we bought the plastic containers. I like see-through containers because you can actually see what it is that's inside without having to open things up. I, in the past, when I've had pretty baskets, that doesn't work at all. I need to be able to see it. And then everything is labeled. So I have my mediums in one plastic box. I have my golden acrylics in a different plastic box. I have my acrylics in a third. The watercolors have its own box. So everything is thematically organized by product. All those clear boxes live on a bookcase that is right next to my work table. So I hope that helps. And if other people have organizational tips, you want to go to this holiday bonus blog post and leave a comment below for Deb. I'm sure she would appreciate it. Okay. So thanks for writing in, Deb. I appreciate your question. The next question comes from actually a few people asked the same question. JM, Teresa, and Cynthia all wanted to know book recommendations. So what my book recommendations are. So I actually set a goal this year of reading 36 books. So unless I spend every day reading a new book for the rest of this year, I don't think I'm going to be hitting that goal. But I did read about, I did read 24 books this year, and almost all of them were nonfiction. And I'm, gonna just gonna, I'm not going to read to you all the books, but I'm going to tell you some of the books that I thought were definitely worth checking out. So first of all, I absolutely adore Roz Chast. She is a cartoonist for The New Yorker, and she put out two books, which I absolutely loved. Um, one was Can We Talk About Something More Pleasant? And that is basically a personal story of how she dealt with her parents as they were aging and how she had to, you know, give them assistance. That is a very touching book, but also done it's done with a lot of compassion, but also with a lot of humor. The other graphic novel of hers that I enjoyed was On the Town, which is all about New York. And as a New Yorker, I really appreciated a lot of the small details that she noticed. And as somebody perhaps who's not from New York, I think it's an indispensable guide. So I loved both of those books. In terms of nonfiction books, I really liked Lingo by Jeffrey Shaw. He actually was a guest on the episode. I thought that was a great book. That one I bought in physical book form, not an audio book. And I think that's that one was a good one to have in physical book form. And I underlined things. And it was almost like a mini course in how to talk to your audience. So if you are trying to sell anything, especially if you're trying to sell art, I think this is a really good book for you. You should also listen to the podcast episode, which I believe was episode, I want to say that was episode number two way back then. So that was a good one. I also enjoyed Mike Michalowicz's books and his books I listened to on Audible. So I actually have a free trial for my listeners. If you go to shulmanart.com forward slash Audible, you can get a free trial if you don't already have an Audible subscription to get your first audio book for free. And Pumpkin Plan or Profit First are excellent. 
I never fail to love Brene Brown. I'm trying to remember if her book came out this year or last year, which was Braving the Wilderness. I absolutely adored that book, but she also has a new book out this year called Dare to Lead. I'm only partway through that book, but I really love it. I would definitely recommend that. And then the final one, actually, there's two more I would recommend in the self-development category. One is Story Brand by Donald Miller. I thought that book was excellent. And then finally, the last one, which I think is more applicable, even if you don't run a business, is The 12-Week Year. And it's all about how instead of doing annualized goal setting, that which has 12 months, to think of setting goals in 12 weeks. So I'm finding that very inspirational right now. And I think I am going to be changing the way I set goals based on that book. So I would definitely recommend that one as well. So all of these books that I mentioned, we will put uh, links to them on the blog. I'm even thinking of putting together a special page on my website, shulmanart.com forward slash book club. And that will have all the books on it and links to Amazon. So you can check them out. And you might see some other books on there you might want to read. Okay, so that's a great question. And if you guys have book recommendations, I would love to hear them from you too. You can always write to me, Miriam at shulmanart.com. You can send me a direct message over on Instagram. At, I'm at shulmanart over there. You can always leave a comment on the blog. I'd love to hear from you and what books you recommend. Now I have a question from Kim. Kim says, I've been looking into ways to create good looking emails and indeed found MailChimp that you also talked about. However, when you want to use MailChimp, they ask for your physical address. How do you deal with that? I don't want to put my real address online for everyone to see. A post box is not an option as it's too expensive for me. Do you have an idea? Okay, Kim. So first of all, I'm embarrassed to admit, but it was years. I was in business for years with my physical address right on my MailChimp. If your list is small, most likely you're not putting strangers on your mailing list. So I had my real address on there for many, many years. I only got a PO box a year ago and it was, I think it was $200, I want to say, to get a PO box. So I did get a PO box and that is really your your only option. If you don't want to put your real address on there, If you are in business, you have to be willing to invest in your business and have faith that you will make it back by being in business. So our businesses are not hobbies. They're supposed to be making money for us. And you have to ask yourself, what would a successful artist do? Would a successful artist have a P.O. box? Absolutely. Because a successful artist has money to invest it back into their business. So I hope that helps you, Kim. Next, Alice asks, are you self-taught and who influenced you the most as you were starting out? All right. So I didn't go to art school per se, but I would never call myself self-taught. I did take courses when I was in college, even though it wasn't my major. I did take classes from master watercolor instructors after I graduated. And I strongly believe that always working with a teacher is critical to anyone's success. You would be very hard pressed to find an accomplished artist who did not work under the tutelage of somebody. If you look back 
over the centuries, these artists had apprenticeships with other artists and that's how they learn and that's how you grow. So I strongly believe in continuing education. That doesn't mean you had to go to art school, but definitely would never consider myself self-taught. Now, the second part of that question is who influenced you the most as you were starting out? So if you're talking about art teachers, I studied under Charles Reed. He definitely had an influence on my color palette, especially when it comes to my looseness and to uh, painting flesh tones. I also studied under watercolorist Mel Staben. Again, definitely critical for creating a very focused painting that is not too fussy. And I also studied with Elise Morinon. All three of those watercolor artists were nationally recognized. Mel Staben and Elise Morinon were both members of the National Watercolor Society, juried members. So I definitely had really good teachers along the way. In terms of mixed media, I've also studied with other teachers in both in person and workshops, as well as taking teachers online classes. So I wouldn't consider myself self-taught in any of those things. Uh, In terms of influences throughout art history, though, I have many. I would say first and foremost, Mary Cassatt. I love her mother and children paintings. And since I did a lot of children's portraits early on, I would say that was a huge influence. I also found Degas to be an influence in my landscapes. You definitely see a lot of Van Gogh influence in there. And you can also find in both my peacocks and some of my landscapes, there's definitely an influence of, of Gustave Klimt. I think people have commented on that quite frequently. There's, there's one peacock in particular that people are always noting how ornamented it looks like a Klimt painting. And I don't deny that there is a huge influence there. I'm always going to art galleries in New York City. So I let those artists that I see influence my work. I don't, I think that's a great thing to be moved and influenced and evolve always as an artist. Next, Nora Gelb. Nora says, I love listening to your podcast, especially in the car, transporting kids to activities. Thank you, Nora, for those kind words. So inspirational to hear what you and guests have to say. How are you setting your goals for the upcoming year? Daily goals, monthly goals. I'm reflecting on this year and I feel I've grown small steps in my art business, but want to do more. Just not sure yet. So Nora, this is a fantastic question. And one of the books I recommended them only partway through with the 12 week year, I think I'm actually going to use a lot of their framework for goal setting. But I'm going to share with you some things I've already put in place so far for this year. I have a huge piece of paper, you know, one of those big pads that you take to life drawing class. I took one of those sheets of paper. I wrote the goals down on it and put it up in my studio. This is the first time I've actually posted my goals on the wall and shared them with my assistant, Anna. I also told her not only did I want her to be a part of this goal setting by tracking every month, but I created milestones that she would get to share in the celebration of reaching those milestones. So three business goals that I made are a revenue goal, which is I've already hit the six-figure mark last year, 2017 in my business, and I also crushed that goal this year. 
but I want to increase my profit and increase my revenue. I have a number for 2019. And then I also have a goal for the podcast. So the podcast right now, I only just launched it a few months ago. It's doing fairly well, but my goal is to have a hundred thousand downloads before the end of the year. And I also want 300 members in my Inspired Insiders membership site. So those are my three business goals, three business goals. Now I have two personal goals. One is actually with weight loss. I haven't put weight loss on my goal list in a very long time. I think I was afraid to. I'm an average shaped person, so I don't have a lot to lose. And that's probably why I haven't tried, but I definitely feel uncomfortable with my weight right now. So that is a personal goal that I will be working on. And my other personal goal that is even more important to me is I have a great morning routine, but I want to develop a evening routine that is equally satisfying. So that's something I'm going to be looking into and perhaps sharing in the coming months are rituals for for evening because I think that's just as important as a morning routine. So I have this goal, these goals that I want to hit for the year, but I am going to be checking after 90 days that I hit certain milestones in the first three months of the year. So that's a great question, Nora, and I'm glad that you've asked it. So I also do set, by the way, the daily goals. I will, in my journal or my planner, I will say, I will write down what I believe has to get done that day. And I found that getting clear on what has to get done that day, I do get a lot more done because I know the main thing I have to focus on. All right. I hope that helps you, Nora. All right. The next question comes from Sydney Kafker. And Sydney asks, my biggest obstacle is the amount of time I take to complete a project. Always thinking if I add more color, shading, detail, my work will improve or be that much more interesting. This dilemma has endured through all my past artistic ventures, hand-painted jars, baby clothes, pet bowls, etc. Granted, this example is from many years ago, but four hours to paint personalize a onesie for which I charge $20 is insane. <laughs> my questions are, how do you know when it's time to stop and do you impose a time limit on yourself? And Miriam, out of curiosity, how long does it generally take you to complete an eight by 10 pet portrait? Okay, those are a lot of questions we have to unpack. So first of all, I'm glad you realize it's insane to spend that much time on something, a personalized onesie, which is why I don't do those types of things. And I discourage other artists from doing those types of things. That doesn't mean you can't create onesies with your art on them, but I believe that it should be printed. So if you want to have a, I'm just going to make this up, a flamingo wearing a Santa hat on a onesie, that you should create a painting of a flamingo with a Santa hat and then get it printed on the onesie, on the dog food bowl, on whatever that thing happens to be. There's lots of sites that will help you do this. Redbubble is one, Cafe Press is another, and you can always digitally 
add someone's name to it. So yeah, I would not spend hours on something that you're charging $20 for because first of all, you have materials are going into it and your time is going into it and you want to make more than $2 an hour or what's the point? So, I mean, I know we're painting for self-expression and for joy, but we're not selling our art for self-expression and joy. We're selling the art to make money. You can make art and not sell it. That's fine. There's no judgment in that. You don't have to make money from your art. But if you're putting it up for sale and you're charging, you better be valuing your time properly. So that's what I want to say about that, Sydney. Now, in terms of your questions, how do you know when it's time to stop? Well, I always tell my students that as long as what you're doing is making your artwork better, you can keep going. And as soon as you do something that makes it worse, it's time to stop. So that's generally my rule of thumb. When something starts to get ruined, I will stop it. I won't even try to fix it because that will just make it worse. Then she also wants to know, how long does it generally take you to complete an 8 by 10 pet portrait? Okay, so there's two answers to that. There's how long does it take me to actually paint it and how long does it take me to complete it? So I always tell my customers that it takes two to six weeks depending on the length of my wait list. But the truth is, it usually only takes me about an hour to actually paint it. It's just those two weeks, two to six weeks of procrastination. Sometimes it's because I really do have a lot of other work, but the actual painting time, usually not more than one or two hours. Okay. Thanks for that question, Cindy. I only have two more questions left and then we'll wrap up. Paula Haynes says, I am from a very small rural area in Kentucky. And my question is related to how one gets licensed when you are not in an urban community, is it a matter of getting online and just hitting up every line of home and tier companies with your portfolio or what? Of course, was hoping to just be discovered through the art shows I do throughout the year, but so far that has not availed any interest. Okay. So there's a couple of episodes, Paula, that I'm going to point out to you that will help you. First of all, I did interview licensed artist Tara Reed. That was episode number nine. We talk about what it's like to be a licensed artist. I also recorded an episode with her art agent, Gary Levine, and there is a submission process on his website. So he's from Roaring Brook Art Studios. I would encourage anyone who's interested in licensing their art to check out both of those episodes number nine and number 10. I'll put the links to those in the show notes. The other episode I strongly recommend you check out would be the one I did with Michael Roderick, which I believe that was episode number 17. And in that discussion, we talk about that myth of being discovered. The news media likes us to think that artists get discovered, but it really doesn't work that way. People get discovered because they are pounding the pavement and submitting their portfolios. You're not going to get anything licensed by going to art shows and hoping that an agent is just going to happen to walk by unless you are exhibiting Surtax, which is where there are manufacturers coming to buy art and license art. That would be the one exception or a similar trade show. I don't think that's what you were talking about when you said art shows. So there are these art shows where manufacturers do go to look at portfolios. They are very expensive to enter. They usually have a few thousand dollars just for the booth fee. 
And of course, that doesn't factor in maybe if you have to travel or your hotel and you have to put together your banners and your portfolio books. So that's one way. The other way is you can put together a portfolio digitally. That's a very common way. And it doesn't matter what size town you live in. Anyone with a computer and internet access can put together a digital portfolio and submit it to either art agents or directly to manufacturers. Either way, I don't have a lot of experience with art licensing. I have a few art licensing partners. And if you have friends who are art licensed, that is another way. That's probably, I would say, a third way to get an inroad because a lot of times people will, uh, agents have said that they will get new artists from the friends of their existing stable of artists. And I've also recommended my friends to some of my licensing partners, but it is such a tiny sliver of what I do that I'm really not the best person to give advice. There are a lot of other people who are much better equipped than I am for that, but that would be a good starting point for you is to listen to those three episodes and I would start looking for an art agent if you don't have any experience dealing directly with manufacturers. Okay, I believe this is our last question. This question came from Robin Shaw Breyer. Her question is, what is the best way to mail an 11 by 14 inch portrait? Flat? Is there an envelope or rolled? Do you ship with mats? All right. So when I do commission portraits, I usually prefer to include a mat and a backing board because you don't know how long it's going to be between when they receive that portrait and they actually go to frame it. I had one customer when I was first starting out, and it's probably because I didn't charge enough on the portrait. She ordered more than one portrait. She ordered a few portraits. I think I raised my prices after her. I mean, I've been raising my prices all along, but she ordered a few portraits. And a few years later, those portraits were still sitting around her house unframed. And these are watercolors. And they were matted, but God forbid they weren't matted. So I always mat it. I always put a backing board on them. And you should always put an in an acetate sleeve to protect it from fingerprints and moisture. You might as well do this anyway, because when you're shipping, that mat and that backing board is going to help protect it in that shipping process. So there's no reason not to include it. And it makes it for a much better presentation if they are gifting it to somebody and they haven't taken the expense to frame it themselves. If they do go to frame it this way, it will already have a mat and you don't have to worry about them putting the watercolor under glass without a mat. If all watercolor should be under a mat and under a glass. So that is my advice for you. Now, that is for that size. There are situations where it's too big to ship it flat and matted. Most of the time, those size portraits are not ones that I do online anyway. Those are in-person commissions. So in that case, I would hand deliver it to my client. All right. So I hope that helps. Robin, and thank you everybody for writing in. And thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I'm so grateful to everybody who listens. This was just a dream of mine a year ago, and it's been such a joy to see it all come to fruition. 
Now, there's a few things I want to say before we wrap up. First of all, I need to give some words of gratitude. I need to give a huge shout out to my studio manager, Anna Colney. Thank you so much for all that you do. A huge note of gratitude to my podcast editor, Dan. Thank you so much. Another note of gratitude going out to my friend, Nicole Holland, who is a podcast expert. She really helped me make my system much better and gave me a lot of confidence, as well as my mentor, Jason Van Orden, and everyone who's been on my podcast so far. So I don't want to bore you by reading all those names now, but everyone who took a chance on me to come be interviewed on my podcast before it even started, I am so grateful for you. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to leave a review. I did promise Anna when we hit 100 reviews that we'd have a special celebration and I would take her out for lunch. I do take her out to lunch often, but it would this would be like a really nice restaurant. So if you want Anna to be taken out to lunch and you want to leave me a little gift, that is just the little gift I would like asking you. So here's how you leave a review. If you have an iPhone, it's actually much easier. You look for the Purple Podcast app. You search for the inspiration place. When that comes up, scroll down a little bit and you'll see the reviews. You click on the purple sentence, write a review. Click that. You enter in a title. You click five stars, please. You leave a review and hit, I think it's hit send. If you don't have an iPhone, you can still leave a review. Just go to iTunes on your desktop and you can leave a review that way. I'd really appreciate it. All right, next week we have an episode. It's all about setting goals. I've invited the author of the book, Tiny Leaps. We're gonna talk about how you can make change in your life by just taking small steps. The week after that, we have Nicole Holland. She's gonna talk all about how you can get publicity through podcasts. We have a lot of really good interviews coming up in 2019, and I can't wait to share them all with you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you're listening to this on the day that it went out, happy Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, happy Tuesday, happy Kwanzaa, happy New Year, happy everything. Thank you for being here with me and have an inspirational week. See you next week, same time, same place. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com.